Hey, it's Game Changers with Vicki Abelson, and my guest today is Ricky Bird. Ricky! Vicola. I love that. You know, that's what my father used to call me. Is it and really? You're, you're go, like to an, your, go to your room. <laughs> he didn't do that, but he, he, you're like an old Jew from the Bronx, like my Catskills old Jew from the Bronx. That's a good way to start off. <laughs> um, um, just so you know, my, my dad and, and that side is all Italian, and my mom on that side is all Jewish. I know. Don't tell me. What? What's it, the joke? The, no, it's like was your mother? Your mother's Jewish? Oh, then you're Jewish. I'm New. <laughs> I'm just New York. You know. Hey, what do you think about my backdrop? I love your backdrop. It's not a. It's not a green screen kind no, of thing. No, it's a. It's a photography. I just got it on Amazon because. Um, my basement is not finished anymore, thanks to Sandy, but uh, Hurricane Sandy. But um, you know what I do when, when I'm not using it? I rent this out to hostage videos. <laughs> nice. Hi, Phil. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to look at people as they come, and, and maybe we'll talk to people. Hostage videos. Wait yeah. for it. Wait for it. Two, three. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So yeah, tell me tell me now, what's the fixation with, with – uh, with the Catskills and with comedians, where did that passion start? Um, I think. Well, I mean, I've I've always loved show business. Like since I was a little kid, I was always watching the Ed Sullivan Show when I was a kid with my family. Yeah. And yeah, I love the music stuff because you know I've been playing guitar since I'm nine. But when there was a good like Jackie Vernon or you know, I mean, I I memorized their routines. It was just something about. And I grew up on Jerry Lewis. You know, well, I mean, right. I, I just loved Jerry Lewis when I was a kid. But um, I just love that format, and I love, and I really love the old-fashioned, you know, hokey Ed Sullivan comedian, like Alan King. Me too. I mean, he did a bit. I remember my friend sent me this. I can't remember. I think it was Ken Dashow actually sent me this bit that he did. Uh, Alan King did called "Survived by His Wife." This famous yeah. bit. Okay, tell me. So he would be on stage and he'd have like a newspaper, right? Yeah. And he'd say, let's look at the obituaries because I will stand here and I'm telling you that every person that dies, every man that dies, it's going to say survived by his wife. <laughs> and he would go into the audience. He said, lady, read, read this. You know, Moish uh, Schwartzman, 82 years old, survived by his wife. You know, so he was trying to make a point, you know, but yeah. <laughs> I, I would be on the floor. Like, I love that stuff. And and um and I remember when I was a kid, my my grandparents had um, Bell Barth records. Wait, wait, like, wait. Who's I don't know who that is. I'm going to educate you on some no, stuff now. I'm sorry. I I know pretty much all these people. I don't know who that so is. Bell Barth was a like a Yiddish comic, right? And okay. she, you know, the kind that would she would tell the the she would tell the story in English, and then the punchline would be in Yiddish. <laughs> right? You know, yeah. but but they would make me go in the other room when they played. Like she was the dirt. She was like a dirty comic. Like not not today dirty, but you know, right, right. She was blue, right? Right. She was blue. By the yeah. way, you know what blue? Where that comes from? Where? No, I don't. So back in vaudeville, see, yeah. when um, uh, a comedian or an act was telling risque jokes, yeah, they would uh, get a blue envelope backstage with suggestions of what they had to take out of their act. And that's where the saying, uh, don't, I, I don't work blue. How do you like that? that uh, now I did not know I would be getting a comedy lesson today. I thought we were going to be talking about rock and roll. I, well, well, I did. 
Rock and roll is comedy, by the way. Um, so, so you know, I love so I love that. And and then when I got to and I and listen, I was listening to Lenny Bruce when I was fourteen years old. Yeah. And um, when I got to be sixteen, seventeen, I was in this band that I joined in Manhattan, um, uh, and and they so we were trying to get a record deal. They, we right. were called New York Central. They had a, a, a single on RCA before I joined the band. Uh-huh. And um, I found them in the Village Voice, where we found everything, right? <laughs> That's right. And and um, so to make money on the weekends, we would play at the Pines Hotel and the Raleigh sometimes, but mostly the Pines Hotel. We were the rock band, you know? And I was like 16 or something like okay, that. Okay, Ricky, what year? Because I was up there all those summers. My father was an MC. What, what year? What year? Uh, I was there my life. When were you doing this? Maybe 74. Something like that, 673, 74, 75. 73 was my last, yeah. Yeah, so so we were the rock bands because we were playing like Honky Tonk Woman and we would play in the teen room. And right. we, would, we would play Honky Tonk Woman and, you know, because it's funny, I'm still friends with my friend Mike Neville. And we were talking, um, we reconnected a couple of months ago and we started telling stories. We were on the floor telling stories about <laughs> the stuff we used to do. I mean, we would be drunk. We'd be running through the like the lobby and, causing havoc you know and there was a guy named Artie Artie the cop who used to follow us and like write notes we never know where the notes went but he would just always write notes it's like a Barney Five guy but but so we would play so we do Hockey Talk Woman but it was also the time we would do like um we would do Green River I remember stuff like that we would do like Barry White you right. know it was, so it was around that time those kind of songs you know right. we'd do like Earth Wind and Fire you know right of course so we would play and then we would go into the big room, which I can't, maybe it was the Wedgwood room or something like that. I don't can't remember. And yeah. we would watch the acts, right? And right. Freddie Roman, Malzi Lawrence, Charlie Callis. Uh, um, uh, uh, I'm thinking of the Italian guy. Um, you know I got to meet last year? Mitzi Dick Capri, Dick Capri. Yeah, the Borschfeld Catskills. Catskills, on, Catskills on Broadway. Yeah, I saw that three times. But yeah. um, so we would go watch that, and I would just love to watch that stuff. Just the, just the, um, I don't know. It's there was their timing. It was there. In fact, Malzi Lawrence, who I love, mm-hmm. he would do a thing. And when I was playing acoustic shows, I would do this. Right, I would use one of his things. I'd go up to the lighting guy before the show and I say, look, I'm going to do a really nice ballad and I'm going to say to you, but I don't want you to do anything. I'm going to ask you to do something. Don't do it. Right. <laughs> and I saw Malzi Lawrence do this every show. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd say, you know, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to, I'd just like to do like a beautiful, sensitive ballad. This would be fabulous with some mood lighting. And I, in my head, I'd count <laughs> like five and then I go, that's perfect. <laughs> you know? And I would get such a kick that the people would laugh at that every single time. It's just right. basic, you know, Catskills comedy. So, but the best part is like after the shows, we'd all go to the coffee shop, which was 24 hours. Oh, hell and yeah. Just like Broadway Danny Rose, we would sit there. And remember, I'm only 17. Right. We would sit there with these guys and they'd be telling, I remember when I was, I was supposed to be on the Sullivan show and you know, you mentioned Mitzi McCall. They got her at the last I minute. I was going to tell you. I, I know. That's why I used the name. Oh, and Charlie Brill. Yes. Yes. And, and Mitzi McCall, you know, they put her in instead of me. They cut me to bastards, you know. <laughs> and then I realized that that's me now because me and my friends sit around and talk about, remember we played in, uh, you know, Sheboygan, you know, and Cheap Trick. You know, remember this one and this one? So it just keeps getting passed on. I don't know. 
It's a good one. Right, so, okay. So let's, uh, before wait, wait, we... let me tell you, let me All tell right. you something. <laughs> Just cause this is my favorite subject. Screw rock and roll. Um, <laughs> so me and Ken dash out New York, you know, Q104. Yeah. Uh -huh. We have this pack that whenever, uh, any of these guys played Westbury, we'd go see them. See? Right. So, uh, we go to see Freddie Roman and we go backstage, right? And um, and I've been insulted by um, Don Rickles, so <laughs> I wear that as a badge. It doesn't get better than that. Yeah, but but so Freddie Roman's standing back there, and it's after the show, and he was fabulous, you know. And um, he's you know he's got the tux on, and he's got the the tie hanging like like Dean Martin, you know, and play <laughs> on Playboy After Dark or something, right? <laughs> and he's got like a vodka in his hand or something like that, you know. And 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 he asked, you know, kidding around, he says. Could I get you anything, a drink, some, you know, some drugs, anything, you know, like clowning around me? He says, uh, Freddie, I, I just want you to tell you, these days only my hair is chemically dependent. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> nothing, nothing. And I, and I said to him, I said, hair, chemically dependent. And he goes, I heard you. <laughs> <laughs> and to me, that was the greatest thing in the world. You know, I mean, that's what I want. Yeah. You know? When you can make those guys laugh, it just kind of doesn't get any better. Than well, I didn't make them laugh. He was trying to, he was putting me in my comedy place, you know? Right. But, but you know, you know that he was repressing for you. Yeah, he was, it was, it was <laughs> fabulous, you know? And we would go out and see these guys. Um, we saw, oh my God, we saw Frank Gorshin. It was one of those nights. It was like Malzie Lawrence, um, uh, Freddie Roman. I don't know. I can't remember who else was, it, but Frank Gorshin and he was bombed. He, he he was bombed and then he bombed, like he he was telling jokes and he wasn't. Getting, was the, did impressions? Yeah, and he was the Joker. Right, he was know. the Joker, but he, he did. He's, he's gone now. He's gone. He's passed away. Yeah. But 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 you know his jokes were not going over. I mean you know they were just all over the place. And he yeah. started like insulting the crowd. Oh God. And, and everybody, me and Dasha were like, <laughs> and you could see people like people just started getting up and leaving. And it was just, but but that's part of you know the 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 learning process of those guys and and a lot of those guys like the Catskills guys okay so you know we would go up there for you know a couple of years in a row right for every Charlie Callis that we saw or Shecky Green right there would be 20 guys that nobody's ever heard of except for us and if Catskills on Broadway didn't come out nobody ever heard of those people so right. and i found i found that heartbreaking and um a part of americana is gone forever. See? <laughs> and, and and I don't think um I, I don't think there's been a lot of documentation on on uh, you know there's there's been documentaries there's a there's a documentary on Netflix about Kutcher's and stuff but there's right. no real except for Casca's on Broadway there's no real put together documentary on all those guys like hundreds of guys and gals that just went up there some of them had jobs during the day and during the week in the city and I just think it's just a missing part of uh, Americana and, sh and American show business. And I just love that stuff. It, it really is something that needs to be, it, I have some of it in my, in my book, but so, you know, Dirty Dancing was great, but it was not what I lived through. It was not the Catskills that I knew. I mean, in tiny part, you know, it was better than that. It was better. Yeah, and I was telling you um, that I joined a really fabulous uh, Facebook Catskills. It's called um, Catskills and the Borschbelt Hotel, something like that. Yeah. But, so, but I'll write something like, whatever happened to Billy Alfred Jr.? He was the MD. 
And and um, and then 12 people go, oh, I know Billy. My husband played in his band, and he's living in like Boca Raton now. And he's like, and man, when next time I get down to Boca Raton, I'm gonna find Billy Alfred Jr. and say, dude, I was in the teen band, and I was in the rock band. He's probably like 95 now, but you know. And, and so, funny, funny enough, leading into rock and roll. So, so that guy, that guy, Billy Alfred. Yeah. So he was uh -huh. the MD. So okay. whoever, whoever was on stage, whatever comedian, they'd say, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Billy Alfred. And Billy Alfred would go like this off of his piano stool, right? That was his thing. So then we started doing it. You know, <laughs> so like whenever we whenever we ate, when Billy Alfred would walk into the to the because they put all the entertainment in one section, obviously, because we, yeah. we were pirates <laughs> and, and, and Billy Alfred, because somebody would go Billy Alfred and like 40 people would go like this. So we go on <laughs> later on when I'm with Joan. Yeah, we, on, we open We're opening for Robert Plant. And I told this story. See, yeah. And, and catering. I just have to go in the middle of like sitting there. I just go. Billy Alfred Jr. and Robert Plant and everybody would. <laughs> <laughs> Hysterical. And that's what I live for, my friends. <laughs> so, you know, and you carried this over because when you when you were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you were kind of like a Borscht comic when you were doing your acceptance speech. It was fabulous. I worked really hard on that, man. I was like I was like Neil Simon writing a play. <laughs> like I, I wanted to make sure I got laughs and and you know, just was, was, uh, uh, gave props to everybody that deserved it and really sort of cleaned house and, you know, I, but I wanted it to be funny. And it was very funny. It was very funny. You had, you had it all. You had pathos, you had all that stuff going. It was really wonderful. I was incredibly. Um, I have pathos, my friend. I have pathos. I was very proud of you. Has, has your life changed since you were inducted? Has Not at the all. World Not at all. <laughs> Not at all? No, of course it is. I mean. Uh, it's nice to say, you know, it's like, it's like that thing. Like, uh, like when, when you see somebody, an actor on Letterman and it's like Academy Award, uh, when I, so I got that. So it goes, it goes by my name, you know, it's great. Right. And, and see, it's great for me differently. Um, I, I see it differently. I mean, it's fabulous to be in there and, and, you know, let me say, God bless Joan for, uh, you know, letting me part, be part of that journey and, you know, bringing me in there. Um, but the thing for me is like, like, uh, and the statue is lovely too. The the <laughs> thing the, the thing for me is is like I um, um let's see I, it let's see it are you holding it no nah, it's it's, it's oh. upstairs I'm in my basement okay, okay. um uh, you know like like a lot of the things that I do are are uh, because of my history and because of you know my age and stuff like I'm always asked to be in these all star bands and we right. get to do all these benefits and charity work around the country and this and that and there's like a there's a group of us. You know, and then some. Sometimes, sometimes it's, it's Paul Schaefer's there. Sometimes he's not, and it's Rob Arthur. And sometimes, it, you know, what I mean. Right. But um, um, we were doing like six years or so in a row. We were we were doing this really big event at the Rock Hall. Right. And it was uh, it was for the Rock Hall, and it was for kids. You know, music instruments and schools and this and that. But um, and it, and it took place in the same place that the induction. To, it's the convention center, which is a very famous place in Cleveland where like the who and the Beatles played. It's just this right. giant place. But um, uh, what I would do is whenever I was there, I would take a walk through the museum by myself. See, and I would see, and now I'm getting the chills. I would see um, Sam Cooke's tuxedo and I would see Chuck Berry's guitar and I would see Johnny Thunder's guitar 
and I would see, you know, Keith Moon's drum set. And wow. now my guitar's in there. And to it's me, so no, so that's what that means to me. It's like, you know, you want to talk about the politics of the, but the museum is just fabulous. Like it's just, and, and I remember the stones when they, when the stones exhibit went up, I was there for that. Not, not for that. I was doing an event and I just walked uh -huh. through there myself. And I, I walked through and I seen Keith's outfit that he wore on like a TV show that I saw him. And when I think the, that my first guitar is in the rock hall, and right now there's actually our, our exhibit is up because they keep, you know, they shift it every few months or whatever. Right. But, but whenever I come there to do something, like I've done two recovery events, they put my guitar, they bring out the, the, the um, um, what's it called? You know, the big glass, help me. The display case. Thank you. Thank you all. This, yeah, <laughs> display case. Yeah, it's the 80s were a little rough on me, so. <laughs> so so I, every time I go, and then my guitar is in there, and one time I went in there, and my guitar was in there, and in the case with my guitar was Chuck Berry's shirt with a picture, and I started crying. <laughs> like, it's like, okay, so, excuse me, security, they made a mistake. <laughs> okay, so, now, this is, not, you're, like, your this is like, it's a little acoustic guitar, right? It's your first. Yeah, it was the first guitar that I got when I was nine years old. And it got beat to shit in, in Sandy, Hurricane Sandy. It's like the top peeled off a little bit. But but they when, when we were going to be inducted, they asked if I wanted to uh, donate some stuff. So I, I, my, my black Les Paul is on loan. But my, you know, I gave him my leather jacket, um, which which I couldn't fit into now if you, you know, <laughs> with, with like, you know, oil and vinegar poured all over me. One of your legs was like. Well, both of your legs was like the size of my ankle. You were so skinny. You were. It was so a thin, thin, my thin, the thin white Duke face. You were so skinny. All but, right. So that I think got my shoot, my original Doc Martens, you know, and Joan, obviously Joan's guitar and Gary's bass and, and Lee's drums and, you know, and it's a kid. I mean, listen, I, this is what I, when I saw those Beatles and the Stones on Ed Sullivan when I was a little kid, I wanted to be this guy and I got to, you know, partake in the, in the adventure. So. Who am got, I to complain? You got, yeah, you got to, you got to be that guy. All right, so you just brought up Hurricane Sandy, and I wanted to talk about that because you've lived through two major catastrophes, and I, I say the second one is what we're going through is the COVID thing. But let's go, let's roll it back to Hurricane Sandy. Tell everybody what happened to you guys and the basement that you. Anyway, tell us what happened. So, so I'm in my basement now, right? And I had a studio down. It was a finished basement with a TV, and you know, right. It was a hang, right? But I had a studio in here. I did my first solo record, Lifer. I did a lot of the guitars in here, and um, and you know, Sandy, Hurricane Sandy was was not supposed to come to my neighborhood, right? Um, and uh, we knew it was going to be bad. But at the last minute, they came on TV and said um, it's heading for blank, you know. And I re I just remember going. My neighbor knocks on my door and says, "Check this out." Now we're surrounded by water. Not not close, but you know. Um, we went outside and he said, look at that. And, and a little bit of water was coming down the street, right? And 10 minutes later, there was a little bit more water, you know, 15 minutes later, it's on the sidewalk. It's heading up to the, you know, up the front stoop, you know, up the steps. Well, what time of day is this, Ricky? It's an interesting question. Well, that part was still, I'm going to say early evening, if I'm not mistaken. I can't remember. Okay. But um, it was pretty frightening that night. But by the end, what happened was um, when I said, let's go upstairs, we heard a big crash. And what that was was my basement back door like bent in half from the, the water. Like the water 
went up to my car window. Uh, you know, I lost two car win cars. Say, didn't your cars float down the? Oh yeah, man! Everybody in the neighborhood lost their cars. It was like, oh. and 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 what the thing was, all all you heard was um, when when it got to a certain point, all the alarms went off. So you'd hear, but it would go like, yes. Death, where is thy sting? Oh. And, and and all of the uh, gen the um, transformers were exploding, and it, now it's pitch black. So you're looking out your window, and you're seeing, and you're seeing the water, and you're seeing giant garbage things go by, and and it was just like, wow, what do we do? You know, and there was nowhere to go. So, um, what did you do? I mean, I inter know interestingly enough, yeah, um, every all the phones were dead. Uh, well, the phone wasn't the the cell phone wasn't dead, but you couldn't call here. But I remember seeing, I was watching something on the History Channel just before that, that said, um, if you're ever in an emergency, you could call out of state, it'll work, but it won't work in your neighborhood. Really? So I called somebody in Florida and they called the fire department here. And the fire department said, you're basically on your own. We have no, everything's flooded. We have no trucks, no, you know. Oh my God. So, you know, we just, had to wait, and then I looked down, and it, it came up through the. Um, here's here's this here's the ironic part. How so many three stories is your house? It's a two story house. Two stories. So this was happening in the basement. So you're well, the basement the basement filled up to the main floor, and then it went up, uh, you know, off like this or something like that. But outside, like I still have the watermark on my outside fence, and it's you know it's a nice height halfway up, right? So um, uh, what what happened was. Um, when we saw, I looked down from upstairs and I saw the water starting to recede, and that's when I felt okay because it was it was receding when the you know when the tide went out. Right. Um, but I opened my basement door, man, you know, and I managed to get up most of my guitars up. We didn't have much time because we weren't prepared that it was going to be here. This neighborhood uh, lost a couple of things, but um, I had like pictures all along the that's walls and stuff. Was like all your memorabilia. Yeah, I had a lot of baseball memorabilia too, and all a lot of the all the Blackheart stuff, like press clippings. I'm not one for saving any of that stuff anyway. But um, I opened the door, man, and there's a signed picture of of Dick Clark floating at the top of the steps, and I'm like, oh, this is not good, <laughs> you know. So I, I learned to think of it like God's spring cleaning, you know what I mean? But weren't you guys like out of house for like? Oh, yeah, 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 a couple of months. Somebody, somebody was nice enough to, you know, the kindness of friends and, and then um, stayed at a hotel a little bit. And then we had to have the whole basement because there was mold. So we had to go through all of that stuff, you know, tore it apart, tore the floors up, had to tear the floors up. But Hopefully that, we'll never see that again. That had to be a bitch because everybody was in the same boat you were. Like, oh, was yeah. it to get people to do the work because everybody needs the work done? Well, um. It wasn't easy, and believe me, they were charging because they knew it wasn't easy. You did know, you there are always people that take advantage of that situation. Did you have insurance to cover all of that? We had we had some. It didn't cover everything. We had flood insurance. It's interesting. We had flood insurance because we lived in the, an apartment in the city, and we had it there. And when we moved out here, our guy said, "Listen, it's only like it was something a year. Just keep it." So we were lucky. And I had, you know, I had music insurance and stuff like that, instrument insurance. Okay, now you're bumming me out. Let's talk about something else. Okay, all right. So before we before we go and start laughing again, so how did what were you doing when COVID hit? I mean, did it, how did how disruptive was it to your your lives, your family, to Carol, to Frankie? 
Well, first of all, you could tell there's no vanity left because I'm wearing my freaking glasses. So that went out, that went out the window. <laughs> you know, I mean, I've been doing, I've been doing this, like I've been doing, because uh, my new record just came out, but I've been doing recovery events since last year on, on here because I can't do all that. We'll talk about all the things that I get to go do in person. I've, right. gotten, I've been able to do a lot of it just like I'm doing this. Right, um, right. I mean, last March in New York was like a Steven Spielberg movie, as was Hurricane Sandy. But right. it was so frightening um, because nobody knew what was happening. I mean, I did my last gigs in March. I can't remember when, but um, and we I remember kidding around at the gigs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is it here? Oh, is it here? You know, because everybody was kind of like, you know, that nervous kind of laughter. Yeah. You know, Um and then like, you know, three weeks later, man, it was just like rocking here in New York. And it was like ambulances going by every five minutes. And uh, it was just extremely rough here. And, and I mean, it became rough everywhere. Mm -hmm. But it was that period of time here in New York was it was brutal. And, you know, say what you want about Cuomo, but his daily uh, uh, meet and greets on TV were, were comforting to a lot of people, you know, whether you like what his politics or whatever. OK, fabulous. But his demeanor his story about his stories about his mother's sauce you know his just we needed to be like okay we're gonna get through this you know this is not good but we're gonna get through this and and it, i i greatly appreciate his uh it gave you something to do at noon every day you know like what's going on you know so uh listen. i was watching chris every night did you watch chris on cnn when he was going through it himself yeah yeah Wow, I mean that was crazy. So, so how COVID crazy were you guys? How did you stay at home? Did you stay? Oh yeah, yeah. We were like everybody else. We were we were just like completely. You know, at first we were. Uh, you'd bring stuff home from the market and you'd like scrub everything down, and you're wearing gloves. And then I started to think, well, wait a minute now, gloves. So if I touch something with a glove, and then touch my eye, isn't that the same as touching something without a glove and touching my eye? I mean. Yes. Where's the logic in that? You know, just wash your goddamn hands, you know, like put your carry sanitizer around. So, um, so at the beginning, everything was very like, all right, you got to be careful. And when somebody coughed in a store, I, I, and I've been asked this question a lot with all these recovery events that I, that I've been doing. My theory became uh, accept and adapt, you know, especially musically, accept and adapt, right? Okay, I can't do this, but let me try doing this, you know. But um, so, how did you adapt? Tell tell us a few ways. Well, well, I used a lot of the stuff that I've been taught in recovery for the last thirty three plus years, which was amazingly helpful as far as calmness, um, staying in the moment, mm -hmm. being of service. Mm -hmm. You know, I reached out as much as I could to uh, even on social media. You know, because I'm not anonymous. My recovery is not anonymous. My means are rec of recovery are anonymous, but, but my recovery are not anonymous. Not so I would say, and everybody knows me already with that stuff. I would say if anybody is freaking out, if you need to chat, you know, DM me and we'll, you know, we'll have a conversation. And I talked to quite a few people. And um, by doing that, by helping other people, it helped me remain centered, you know. And then um, I got a, a friend of mine uh, who's now a friend of mine. He, he, he was following me on Facebook. Uh -huh. And he said, listen, um, there's this really great community support group men's meeting out of Florida. Um, and uh, could you speak? 
I'm like, yeah, sure. So I went on the next day. And this was, I'm going to say it was April. Uh -huh. um, I don't think I went to, you know, I probably, I didn't even know what Zoom was yet. Or, you know, right. I mean, I, maybe I went to one Zoom meeting or something like that. And it was like weird to me. And I was afraid, you know, I didn't have my video on. I didn't, I was confused. So <laughs> I went and spoke and I said, wow, I love these guys. Because they're all, you know, and it's not all, some of, most of them are, are my age or older, but there's also newcomers on there and, and and then I started going every day, man, like noon every day, seven days a week, you know, and I got like five or six really close friends out of that, you know, and I love everybody on there. But, you know, and, and I can't wait to go down and visit my mom so we could all meet in person. Um, we had some of them were in New York. We had lunch when things started to get a little better. And um, that was that was major. So 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 what am I saying? You know, do the work. Um, and that's what the whole system is built for. The infrastructure of recovery is built to get you through life on life's terms. Mm -hmm. um, and if you put it to work, you'd be surprised how it can help you deal with all kinds of stuff, not just drinking and drugging. I mean, I felt horrible for people that were on the fence and maybe they were just about to get into recovery. Um, and, and then this hit. And, and all I kept thinking about is, man, I could just imagine myself in the height of my ma maniac behavior, con you know, sitting here, uh, you know, my family and saying, you know what, um, I'm going to go out. I'll be back in like 15 minutes. <laughs> yes. But see, there's a pandemic. People look, <laughs> no, no, I'm fine. It's going to be fine. I'll be right back. I'll just be, I'm just, I'm going to the corner. I'll be back in like 15, 10, 15, 20, the max, 20, <laughs> half an hour, the longest. If I'm gone an hour, that's going to be it. <laughs> I'm just going to pack a small bag and I'm just going to, you know, <laughs> but I was, I was like, wow, man, because if you're, if you're like, you know, using, and if you're in the heat of, of active addiction, you will tell yourself that it's safe for you to go out. Yeah. You know, because um, you will use under any circumstances, no matter what the consequences are. So I felt very grateful that I um, wasn't that guy anymore. And I felt um, deep, um, um, I don't know, pathos, is that the word we used before? That's a is good word. Yeah, yeah, for, um, I'm not even sure what it means, but we'll just use it. Um, was it did, Mar did, did Marcel Marceau do pathos? Isn't that what he's <laughs> Or is that mine? No, that was Shields and Yarnell. Okay, never mind. I digress. <laughs> um, so so uh, I, I, I felt such like empathy for these people like i i knew it was my gig as somebody in recovery to like go on social media and say look if anybody needs a chat um and and so that all that stuff helped you know and now it's starting to clear up where everybody's looking for, forward to meeting in person um how are you easing back okay so you, right you were going to stores from the beginning i hadn't been in the store until a month ago i still was washing everything down until a week ago so uh you were going to grocery stores. Was there anything else you were doing outside the house? You, you, you Carol, you, Frankie. No, no. I mean, okay. uh, after a while, uh, Frankie has a, had a, had a, uh, she has a different job, a different job now. I was like forced to Brooks there for a second, but um, uh, some Google. Irwin people out there. That's who I was trying to think of before. Do you remember Irwin? Oh, Corey? thank you, fabulous. <laughs> that was just in the moment. Anyway, yeah. But, but um. Uh, there was a lot of that, you know, doctor's appointments. And um, we tried nothing that was, I mean, I haven't been to the gym in a year. Mm -hmm. I have a very close, um, loving relationship with Entomans right now. Entomans. I, thought, I thought it was devil dogs. No, you stepped on my line. Um, I'm sorry. 
And Entenmann's. Entenmann's. <laughs> yeah, Devil Dogs is good. I just wanted to be more specific. See, Devil okay. Dogs is just one thing. Entenmann's has a whole, you know. So, and so, did you gain? Did you gain the COVID ten? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, uh -huh. but it's yeah. okay because I'm before this happened, man. I'm I'm like four day a week gym guy, easy. And and funny enough, halfway through this, I bought myself uh, online uh, on Amazon. I think it was maybe. I got. I have a whole. I could see it from here. I have a whole resistance bench and like, you know, all the resistance, uh, you know, cables. And I have a, a, a bars and and it's over there. How are you? Nice to see you. <laughs> I used it twice so far. <laughs> and the first time I used it, it was great. I came down because my studio's down here too. So I put on some loud humble pie and I I was working out and I and I went upstairs. And I said, Man, I feel great. And I haven't been back down since. <laughs> But you you were productive. You you put out a you you just yeah I put out a record. Yeah, you put out a record and had the coolest song in the world um, on Little Stevens Underground Garage back so, in uh, back in January. No wait, yes, it was back in January. Yeah, because because this is what happened. We put the song um, we we put the record out. Uh, Sobering like times, by the way. Sobering times, yes. Um, at uh, like a soft release. In other words, I put it out on my website uh -huh. because because I, I I did the record through crowdfunding and it took you know a couple of years to finish the record. Not because it took that long, but scheduling. So it was like maybe three months to do the record, but it took two years. Um, yeah. uh, so I wanted to get the record to people. And um, how do I take a picture? How am I going to do the cover? So my daughter Frankie took uh, the cover photos, front and back. The, the the and they're fabulous. I have them on Thank Facebook. You. Yeah. The front cover, we went down to Long Island City and she mm -hmm. took that out there. Um, the back cover was here in the basement. If I, yeah, the back cover was in the basement. But so so I wanted to get it out. So I put it out on September 25th, 2020, which is my 33rd um, sober and clean and sober anniversary. Thank you. And um, Billy Alfred. <laughs> so. <laughs> What's life without a bit? You got to do a bit, man. <laughs> you know, it's funny with me and my kid, Frankie. I told her, well, I told her to do, do a spit take when she was like four. But <laughs> we'll be having a conversation and she'll look at me and she'll go, are you serious or is this a bit? <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's what I like, see. Yeah. But, but um, so we put it out September 20th, uh, 25th, 2020. Little Steven, um, who is a fabulous guy, great station. Uh, one of the only stations you could hear new rock and roll and uh, mixed with old rock and roll and soul and all kinds of cool stuff. And he's always good to me. He always plays something from my record, but he played two songs for this record. He played um, Together, which is the first single, which is a big uh -huh. glam song. And he played Quitting Time. And, uh, and then um, soon after that, we were approached by a distribution com company, BFD. And they said, we love this record. We'd like to put it out for real. So it's through them, through The Orchard. And that came out on April, was it April 9th? I think it was April 9th, for real. So now it's um, everywhere. It's all online stores. It's in regular stores, you know, uh, brick and mortar stores around the country. Hopefully, you know, it's going to be around the world, but online, obviously. Um, and uh, so that's that. But also, if, if you want a signed copy, see... Which uh, you can only get it from my website, which is rickybird.com, and I'll write some nice uh, message on there. 
I, I have it on the on the Facebook. So which of the two songs that uh, which became the coolest song in the world on that was together, together. the song together. Yeah, it's it's the it's a big loud rock and roll song. Wonderful. And, and uh, in fact, Tommy Price from who played with me with Joan is playing uh, drums on that. I had four different drummers on this record. Um, I kind of picked and cho chosen like every one of them could have played anything, but I, I just wanted certain drummers on certain songs. Okay, so tell me how you how you accomplished all of this during COVID. No, we started the record in two thousand in late two thousand and eighteen, and we finished it right before the lockdown. Oh, so you were playing everything in person? Okay, gotcha. Yeah, but what happened is at the very so we finished, and then what happens is you have the finished stuff, and then you want to make fixes. See, so uh, you know, and we were you know finishing mixing. It was all mixed, but you know. You, the more you listen to it, you find little things, and then you master it, right? So we had to do that part by phone, uh, which technology is fabulous now because uh, Bob Stander, who's my co-producer for the last my you know my so three solo records, the studio we would do most of the work at is out in Huntington, Long Island, and but technology is such now where um, I could be on the phone with him, and he'll be fixing stuff in his studio, and I could hear it in real time, as opposed to him sending me mixes by email and me listening and then writing notes and sending him back notes. And then he sends it back and then it's not quite right. We were doing it in real time, which is really kind of cool. So wow. except for when things crashed and it didn't work, it was really cool. And then, so by mid March, I think it was pretty much a, a lock on everything. There was one tune that um, I had, I always do a cover song. So on the last record, clean getaway, I did kicks. Mm -hmm. uh, and and that was the coolest song in the world. This one I did, um, Reach Out, I'll Be There, but I didn't put it on the record, and it's really great. It's a great version yeah, of it. How didn't put it on the record? I'm about to explain it. Uh, okay, uh, wait, um, I have to get a power cord, and we're going we're gonna to die. Go ahead, I'm listening. She just gets, she gets up and leaves? It's like my, it's like my high school experience. <laughs> I walked out. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Tell me the story of why it's not on the record. At the time when the record was ready, there was a, uh, yeah. I think it was a healthcare commercial. They had a version of reach out. I'll be there playing here in New York. I don't I have a clue if it was all the rest of the country, uh -huh. but, it, but it was a very commercial sounding. It was not a rock and roll thing at all. And it was just a yeah. really, um, you know, interesting version. Let's just leave it at that of, of okay. reach out. I'll be there. I mean, it was great okay. for the commercial. But yeah, and I said, you know what? It can be, it's stupid to put it out now. So um, what I did was, all right, I still want to put out cover song, but we happened to have cut the bottle let me down, which is a really great Merle Haggard song, you know. And um, you know, tonight the bottle let me down, you know. Uh, so we had that. Mm -hmm. It wasn't finished. What we had was. Uh, I remember Tommy Price was doing together. He was in the studio. I said, let me, let me play you something else. Just play on this. You want to play on another song? So he played on that. We did. I mean, the way Merle Haggard did it was very country, you know? Right. And I just did it like, you know, the, like a faces song kind of. So he played on it. So we had drums. We had one guitar of mine, a, a, just sort of a rough rhythm guitar, mm -hmm. which sounded great, uh, and, and a rough vocal. And it's very right. rare that I would leave a rough vocal, but so uh, we, you know, we listen. All right, what do we? I said to Bob, send me everything we didn't finish. Let me hear what we got. And I heard that, and I said, because it was all about the vocal. I had no way to do it. My studio wasn't set up yet. Um, I like that. 
that's a good vocal. It's like one pass, you know, just turn the mic on, oh. you know. And the vo the rough vocal is for just for everybody else to play to. Um, so I said, okay, Bob, put bass on that. And and then I said uh, I couldn't do a lead, so I said, Bob, play a lead, but look, follow my rhythm guitar because I did kind of a like a Keithy kind of lead guitar rhythm thing in the solo. And then I sent it to Jeff Key, uh, Jeff Kazee, who plays uh, keyboards on my records, mm -hmm. and and he played keyboards and he sang on it. And then we mixed it over the phone, and, and it's on the record. Wow. So are you going to do like a, a director's cut? Is there such a thing as a director's cut in music where you can put the put the other cover on there? Oh, you can do anything you want. I mean, right now I'm just letting this. The thing about it is, we're we're every week now uh, we're we're starting to gain radio stations around the country, which is really cool. Um, and uh, let's talk about your wife for a second. Who does this for you, Carol K? Let's Carol, talk about Carol. Carol does my publicity, right? She's amazing. Yes. Uh, yeah, I've done 50 interviews. Um, you know, I, I'm really tired of talking about myself. <laughs> Not really, but, you know. But that's why I would rather talk about comedy. It's like I can't talk about music anymore. But um, so Carol is this, you know, amazing publicist. So she did all the publicity. And then BFD distributed the record. And then they, uh, you know, doing radio, they have somebody doing radio promo. And um, the only thing that's missing is me playing live. And I don't know when the hell that's going to happen. I, I mean, I don't really have a band. You know what we are doing next week? We're going to go out and we're doing a video for uh, the song, I Come Back Stronger. I love that song. Yeah, thank you. I Come uh, Back Stronger. I know the song. Yeah. Um, so we're going to do that. And, you know, gonna keep very simple. It's not going to be one of those 1985, you know, uh, giant things exploding. and Right. Dropping. You know, it's just going to be uh, kind of in a field, maybe. The guys that played on it, Steve Holly, who played with, you know, oh. Wings. Uh, and Jeff Kazee is going to come out. Bob's going to come out and play, because Bob plays bass on everything, my co-producer. And uh, and we're going to be in a field. You know, I'm not going to be dressed up, just dressed down and big acoustic guitar and sell it. it, baby. Sell it. So, so Ricky, when you do have an opportunity to go take it on the road so you can promote this that album, are these the guys you'd take out on the, who, who would you take out with you? I, you know what? Um, it's very expensive to put a band together and go out on the road. I yeah. could go out and uh, play acoustically. Uh, that's my main like love because I mean, I'd love playing with a band, but that's a whole other animal. Right. Um, so I would definitely go out and do a bunch of uh, acoustic, uh, like an acoustic tour. Mm -hmm. uh, and remember these songs, every one of these songs, um, are songs that I wrote for my recovery music groups. What's a recovery music group, you may let's, ask? I was going to say, let's talk about that and, and its origin, when that started for you. Um, well, I mean, it's such a long story, but I'll, 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 I'll do the Reader's Digest version. Okay. Does anybody know what I'm saying? Yes. Um, okay. <laughs> the short version, the cliff notes. Yeah. God, yeah. I remember when my grandparents would get Reader's Digest every, what was it, every month, maybe. You know what I started getting now? What? I, one day I just went, I want TV Guide again. Oh, God. Come on. They don't make TV Guide they anymore. They do. It's not the little thing anymore. It's like a magazine, but it's it's really cool. I, I'm, I'm loving it. And Carol loves it. Wow. But especially, remember the fall issue? You couldn't wait for the fall oh, issue. Oh, yeah, because it gave you the, the preview. Well, it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, wow, boy, did I go make a hard left. 
so um, <laughs> what I so so there's a song on the last record called "Broken Is a Place." Love that. Okay, song. It's the final. It's the it's the closing song on that. I like to close the records with like a like a an acoustic song, you know, mm-hmm. kind of beatily. And um, I wrote it with my pal Richie Supa. Mm-hmm. And, and and when I was staying at his house, down I went down to visit him, and we wrote that song. I came back to New York. I recorded it. I put it. Um, uh, gee, I, I just re- did a fast recording, just acoustic, and I put it online, and I started getting responses from people from around the world saying, "Wow, man, you told my story!" And wow, you know, and and I so identify with that. And I went, "Huh, that's interesting." <laughs> you know? Wow. So that led to a second song and to a third song. When I had about five or six songs. I reached out to somebody that I had met while I was doing these kind of recovery uh, all-star band gigs, you know, in Florida and, and places like that. Like we weren't doing recovery songs. It was just like, you know, cover songs, but we were raising money for treatment facilities or. How long ago did you start doing that? I'm going to say 2008 almost. Okay. But um, I wrote Broken in 2012 with Richie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got that response. So once I had six or seven songs, I reached out to somebody I met through those gigs Mm-hmm. And I, and I, and they, um, you know, were part of a, a treatment facility down in Florida, but they also had uh, places up here in Jersey. Right. And, and I said, um, "How would you like?" And it's called Sunrise De- Sunrise Detox. I said, "What if I came uh, with my acoustic guitar and did recovery music groups?" I had no clue what I was talking about, but you know, like in acting, uh, can you ride a horse? Why, yes, I can. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, <laughs> you know, and then you learn how to ride a horse. That's right. <laughs> so so uh, I started doing these recovery music groups, and I started getting this response, like, from the clients. In front of me. Some of them had, they just were there. Um, th- that was a detox, so that was really hardcore. They were really just starting out. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, some of them were on meds, and they were, you know, falling asleep and, but I really learned, I made my bones doing that. And, and the thing that I got from, from, uh, the response I got made me want to do it. See, but also they would come over to me after the groups and they would say, where can we get this music? Like where, so we could take it home when we, when we, after treatment. And, and I, I'd get that every group and I was now doing them constantly or consistently. And I started doing them around the country because one thing, let, hey, I hear you do these recovery music groups, or I hear you're a speaker. Could you, keynote speaker, could you come out to Seattle and do a thing? You know, so it started to spread around the country. But they always asked, where can we get this music? So after procrastinating, which I actually uh, am really good at, uh, <laughs> I decided to do the record. So that's how the Clean Getaway record came out, uh, came along. I did that record, I put that out, and the response I got from that record was the same deal. It was like, man. You know, wow. You know, you t- this is like I, I, de- I identify with every song, you know, for different reasons. Right. You know, I, I always say, like, if you're struggling with addiction, you're going to definitely find yourself somewhere in one of these two records. If you're already in recovery, it's probably going to remind you why you're in recovery in the first place. <laughs> you know, and if you just love rock and roll, baby, you know, it's, it's, it's just loud and, and, and swaggering. You know, something else you did, Ricky, with that, that I seem to recall from a story you gave like zip drives or something like little like you would give people in recovery on a a little drive. Right. It's interesting. At the beginning, how did I do this? I remember when I first was thinking, what do I do? Mm -hmm. I think I had broken. uh, There was a company that you could get a card and you would have it would link to the song. 
and I would give it out at treatment facilities. But when Clean Getaway, when the record was done and I had a stack of them, every time I went to a treatment facility, I would bring a stack and I would give it to the clinical directors. And I'd say, when they complete treatment, you know, give them a copy. And, and, I, and I would announce it. And I'd say, they have them when you complete, not when you decide to leave on your own. When you complete, <laughs> um, you get a copy. If they run out, find me on social media. You know, I'll send you pop one in the mail. And I've done quite a few of those. So that was Clean Getaway. You know, we gave around, you know, I'd bring, I think I wound up giving away about 2,500 of them over the course of the two years. And then I started this record, you know. And, and how did I start this record? Is I, um, I go through this thing when I finish a record, I don't even want to look at my guitar. It's like, dude, leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> you know, and then little by little, it's like sitting over there on a stand, all nice and shapely, and pretty, and sunburst. And and it says, you know, remember when Richard Pryor did the bit when the pipe was talking to him? Rich, <laughs> come on. That that's what my guitar would tell. Pick me up, play me. I'm lonely. I feel abandoned. Mm -hmm. And I, so I would start by playing along to. I would pop on like a vinyl, like John Lee Hooker or Muddy Waters or something. And I would just play. And after I did that for a while, and I was like, oh, yeah, I play guitar, right? <laughs> I would start, like, I'd, I'd be going, yeah, what's that? That's interesting, you know? And, I, and it'd be some sort of riff. And then be some chords. Then I'd start humming along to the chords. I'm like, well, this might be something. And I would go get my handy-dandy digital hand recorder. And I would throw it down because I can't remember anything. And um, and then I would start coming up. Then I'm then I sit down with that blank piece piece of paper, right? Which is my favorite part of writing. <laughs> that blank goddamn piece of paper with all those freaking lines on it. <laughs> and, and what I would I always write on the top. And then I got into the habit because I read a book when I was a kid called Act One by Moss Hart, the, the yes. Broadway writer. Mm -hmm. You know, he worked with with um, uh, George S. Kaufman, and you know, and and so I would write Act One just be, as a tribute, kind of. Cause he, that's what he would do. That's why the books called it. And I would try to, and I started to write and the lyrics were like the same, you know, I'm still in the same mindset and I'm like, Oh, here we go. Volume two, you know? <laughs> uh, so I started writing and then all of a sudden I had, you know, I don't know, 15 songs to knock down to 12. And um, I tried to, the only difference between this record and clean getaway, I tried to make this one like the lane a little wider. So people that might not have been, not, might not be, in recovery, there's songs that are just about changing your life and for the better, mm -hmm. picking yourself up, dusting yourself off and starting all over again, as Mr. Sinatra said. Uh, that's what I Come Back Stronger is about. It's, it doesn't right. say anything about drugs and alcohol. It's about, you know, we go through the life is a lesson. We all live and learn every day, you know. So um, and that, so that was my only criteria is, um, well, it's three things. It can't be preachy. It can't be corny. I hate corny and hokey wow. and it's got, it's got a rock. Right. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and I wanted to add to that. I want it to be a little wider of a, a range of stuff where it's, it's kind of crosses uh, into other subject matter of, about just changing your life. And, you know, that's what starlit night is about gratitude. Um, the song, the, the um, third song on there, hear my song that it's on mandolin. It's on actually mando guitar. Mm -hmm. um, that's about, it's a gratitude song, you know, it's just a gratitude song. And there's a couple, there's a couple of starless, the one that's, uh, that I wake up in the next day and I haven't a chance to start all over. It's something yeah. like lyrics, right? Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. yeah. 
let's go down to the river's edge. I'll bring my old guitar. You know, that it's, it's, uh, people say, oh, that's your Clapton song. I'm like, okay, <laughs> whatever. And then there's a song called, um, uh, I'm, uh, called Tired. That's just like a, you know, rock and roll song, you know, yeah. you know, about being up all night and stuff like that. And I'm just trying to hit all the marks. Musically, it's everything, you know, people say, well, what's your style? It's like, you know, what my style is, it's like everything that I listened to when I was 14, it says my style. Okay, so so it's, Will, it's Wilson Pickett, it's the Faces, it's the Stones, it's the Who, it's the Kinks, it's Slade, it's, you know, Sam Cooke. That's my style. Everything. Let's, let's talk about that for a little for people who don't know you. So how, so how did this begin? Did it begin? How did, how did it begin for you? Was being a guitarist the first thing you wanted to be when you grew up? Was that you know, the dream? I, I wanted to be a chiropodist. <laughs> you got to use funny words, my friend. <laughs> Martin Payne, it ain't just paint. Anyway, 30, so 30, 30 people on Google go drop it. Spell that. I dare it's you. A, yeah, spell that. Yeah. Um, I always loved music. My parents were divorced, and and when we lived with my grandparents, they always had on kind of like um, uh, everything from Sinatra to you know dean martin and 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 classic not classical music but uh, uh big band music mm -hmm. you know music from their day but but then we'd sit around and watch the ed sullivan show every sunday night you know and and on that besides the comedy that we talked about it would be like you know ed would say and now for the kids you know <laughs> and it would be all of these great bands which i only heard on the radio because we had fabulous radio here in new york when i was a kid am radio and I've told little Steven this, like his station reminds me of that because you could hear all different styles on his station. And, and um, as great as XM radio is, Sirius XM, every station is a different, right. you know, you got blues, you got jazz, you got this, you got the Beatle chanting. But when we were kids uh, on AM radio, it was just top 40. So you hear Doc of the Bay, mm -hmm. you'd hear Trini Lopez, you'd hear Satisfaction, you'd right. hear Strangers in the Night, you know, on and on and on. You know, you'd hear. Uh, uh, That's true. Um, I never thought of, thought of it that way. You'd hear Dean Martin, uh, and then Dean Martin would go into um, "You Really Got Me" by the Kinks, and you know, on so ABC we would hear that kind of variety. I don't remember that. Oh yes, you did, of course. Really? Whatever was a hit. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, because because they would do the um, all of those guys like Cousin Bruce. They would do all those. Um, um, Palisades Amusement Park concerts they'd host oh, yeah. in, in Jersey, and um, so yeah, so that's that's so I heard the music, didn't quite mm -hmm. know who who were the, what do these people look like? I don't know. I'm kind of yeah, the Beatles. Oh yeah, Shea, Shea Stadium, the Stones. But right. but when when you saw them, I'd sell it. I just distinctly remember seeing the Beatles and loving it because you know mixing this with recovery, like where does your uniqueness start like when did you start feeling different like what made you use in the first place i mean i had a great childhood i mean i grew up in the bronx great parents you know my, my dad wasn't there and and you know he drank but other than that it was great bronx neil simon lots of family you know sundays we'd go to flatbush to visit that side and we'd go to up to yonkers to visit my italian grandma you know and and but um i did feel a little left of center when i was a kid you know and if you see pictures of me, like I had a little old beetle haircut and this and that. And I love baseball because we could see the stadium, Yankee Stadium from our apartment, mm -hmm. um, 1035 Woody Crest Avenue, apartment 6C. 
<laughs> and uh, and um, and music because I always had to transistor radio. So um, school, I wasn't a big course, by the way. What's that? Seven eighty Grand Concourse. Oh, nice. Yeah, my allergist was on the Grand Concourse. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm not kidding. My grandmother worked on Fordham Road. There you and go. of course, the big, the, the big uh, movie theater on the on the top of Fordham Road, the RKO Paradise. Is it, Paradise. That? Yeah. That's right. I mean, I saw my first movies there, right? Yeah. And uh, but so so when I saw the Beatles, I I just there's something that clicked in me. Like I love the music, obviously, but when I saw the Stones, see, I was like, oh yeah, yeah. That's wow. For me right there. Oh. When, I saw, when I saw Keith and like I saw the clothes and I said, oh, yeah, that's how I feel. I feel completely messy and that. Wow. Then in, in 19, so I'm talking 65, right, when I was nine years old. Right. 68, 68 uh, the Stones did a video for Top of the Pops, which is the TV show in England, mm -hmm. um, uh, like American Bandstand in England. And they, right. did, uh, they did a, a video for um, um, Jumpin' Jack Flash. And I'll never forget the first time I saw that it was the lights were it was dark and they all had face makeup on and like my heart's beating fast now like you know and 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 Brian Jones had these big you know glasses like everybody was wearing makeup and I went oh my god <laughs> that I want that and that was when I knew that I wanted to you know I mean I always loved and this all ties in with recovery too like I always loved the dark side a little bit like even the comedians I loved when I was a kid Lenny Bruce right uh, Richard Pryor um, uh, 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 help me um, John Belushi you know like uh, my writers the writers that I loved were um, Dorothy Parker's like my favorite mm -hmm. the Algonquin Roundtable which was a bunch of drunks that were brilliant <laughs> at least they thought they were brilliant um, but came up with like uh, Robert Benchley you know, um, all those, and uh, that most of them died of alcoholism or pills. Like Dorothy Parker, I think, died of like a pill overdose. Um, my my movie stars, um, Errol Flynn. You know, um, I read a uh, like his ex-wife's book. Like, you know, he was he was like looking for for like, morphine and stuff on Sunset Boulevard when he was in his fifties. I think he died when he was fifty-two or something. I mean, everybody that I liked had this dark side you know and then of course in music um uh, jimmy hendrix and and you know janice and but but in, as far as in magazines it all looked glamorous didn't it it just all looked like they always had like you know girls on each arm and they were all like at parties and they had a big bottle of jack i remember I forget that famous picture of jimmy page backstage with the bottle of jack is like a very famous picture and all of that was like yeah it seems like you know, how old I were didn't, you? I didn't know. How old well, were you? Started smoking, drinking, doing all that stuff. I started smoking uh, pot when I was thirteen. So, but the difference between me and my friends is like when I smoked my first joint, I just went like, "Ah, that's interesting. How long's that been going on?" You know, it's like, "What's that? What's on my? What's not on my shoulders anymore?" Oh, the world. <laughs> Even at thirteen, it was like I don't feel so weird now. This kind of this is interesting. And, and, and as I, so, so like all of my friends didn't feel like maybe one or two of us mm -hmm. have this thing, 
you know, <laughs> this, this thing of ours, as they say. Yeah. And everybody else grew up and got jobs and had got, you know, married and bought cars and houses and stuff like that. Right. The thing with me is like right from the get go, one joint was not going to do it, you know, and, and it, it just became more and more. And as I got older, you know, by the time I was 16, I was hanging out at, at clubs in the city like Max's Kansas City. So there were older people there. Which means I started drinking, you know, you start drinking beers when you're a kid or, or back in those days, like this Boone's Farm or whatever your thing was. Oh, um, yeah. But but um, when you start hanging out in the clubs in the city, I remember starting out with Southern Comfort uh, and then moved on to Jack Daniels. Of course, vodka and all shit, but Jack Daniels, I settled on Jack Daniels. But um, Me too. When, start, but when did you know, Ricky, that you were different you were using differently than your friend did you know at the time you were using differently than your friends or oh no uh, no because well first of all back then it's it just seemed like teenage hijinks see <laughs> hijinks. It, it, yeah yes. it didn't seem like you didn't know you were doing anything wrong you were just doing what everybody else was. when you were hanging out in Texas, kansas city most of the people you were hanging out with were like trashed yeah. you know we were always like stumbling out of these places and, and taking right. the, the the seven train home to Queens, to flushing you know when we moved from the bronx like on quaaludes and jack daniels but uh, and then trying to walk from the train station to your house in the window wearing platform boots that's a whole other conversation <laughs> and the shirts that came halfway up right and, yeah. and a velvet velvet jacket and the whole thing my hair was ex exactly the same except longer and not white <laughs> But but um, we uh, I didn't know you know and then I get into bands and blah 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 all that stuff. But was when you, I was you using getting in your way, Ricky, when you were when you were young, was it getting in your way? Was it getting you in trouble in any way? No, you like I said, it was just teenage. You'd wind up, you didn't come home one night, you, you know, or, or or I mean, it probably kept you from growing up. <laughs> You know, uh, but but it didn't become a problem until you become an adult and you have responsibilities and you're not handling them well. Like your coping mechanism, you, you go like, yeah, my coping mechanism, it's a little off center, maybe a little like that. Let me tighten that up a little bit there, you know. Um, so, so and then now you're in rock and roll life and I'm on the road and stuff like that. And not everybody on the road drank and drugged like or at all. And not everybody drank and drugged uh, like me. Um, but those are the people I hung out with, <laughs> see. Right. And 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 you know, listen. There were people that did more than me, and there were people that did less than me. It, it's how you, how your amount made you feel. And I and I think that I did too much too often. Uh, and I'm you know lucky by the grace of God that I got out before it was too late. You know. Uh, and and so I didn't really know, like through the periods. Well, I'll cut to the chase. Late seventies, early eighties, when cocaine uh, became uh, a thing, mm -hmm. especially in the music business, that was the driving force to my demise. That and mixing it with everything else, because I was just a garbage head, so I didn't care. That was the slow de decline down. So you you were like at the height of fame when this was going on. Well, you when it started to get rough. And so, did it ever get in your way? Like when you would get, did you not get high before a gig? What, how did you handle Good that? question. I never really, um, yeah, I'd like to make this uh, a disclaimer. I wasn't really, like I could count on, on one hand probably the times that I was completely destroyed on stage. That's not to say I didn't smoke a joint backstage. Mm -hmm. Not to say I didn't have a Heineken on my uh, drum rise, on the drum riser. Right. It's, 
I might have been hungover, um, but my playtime was either after the show, mm -hmm. um, whether traveling or staying in the hotel, or um, you know, and the next day was obviously recovering from your last night. Um, or when I was home, and then all bets were off when I was home. So no, I, I yeah, there were a couple of times that I tried to, I tried to do uh, coke uh, before I went on, like a large amount of coke before I got. You know, it's like somebody would put a thing, a rail, as we called it back then, and they'd leave for five seconds. They'd come back and be gone, and they go, "Where'd it go?" It's like, dude, I did it. <laughs> you know, well, why'd you leave it with me alone? What the fuck's wrong with you? You know, and then you'd go on stage, see, and you'd try to play and like two songs in your, your body's telling you, Oh, you got to have some more like right now. And so I, I just did that like once or twice. And I was like, yeah, I can't, uh, I don't like that feeling at all. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, so, so there were times getting back to your point, there were times during the, that period from late seventies to 87 when I, when I cleaned it up, where I had a really, really bad experience, and I said that's it. But it it wasn't really uh, heartfelt, you know. There's remorse. You try to stop, you know, and then. And you, uh, you tell I, us. I knew nothing about recovery. Can you tell us, like, what was what did a bad experience look like? One. You know, when a car hits a wall like at eighty miles an hour, <laughs> it's just like you're just like completely a lunatic i mean too much blow you know too much of everything just bad behavior and the whole i mean i don't have to i find drug logs boring because we have all done them one way or another it's it's all you can imagine and, and more i mean so bad bad to me i know bad emotional things was that hotel room after the show when 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 you're by yourself and i know i'm not unique in this in yeah. your hotel room and you're sitting there and you're sweating and your heart's beating out of your chest and you've got a bottle of Jack and a pile of Coke and a, and a bag full of pills and the bus is coming. You got a bus call is in like two hours and, and you know, you're, I mean, does that conjure up a visual? Yeah, I got yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, all of that, um, you know, if I sleep 10 minutes, I'll be fine. That thing. That. Um, lots of just goofy, bad shit. And, um, did you and all over the world, all over the world. Did you have like a bot? Was there a bottom or how, how did you stop? What, what was, what was the turning point for you? So, so when I was turning 30, um, and, and my dad, my dad and his father both died of this disease, but, but, uh, my dad was like 52, I think. Wow. But then again, my, 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 my uncle is, you know, he's got like 42 years clean. So. You could always change the dynamic of your family, but um, wow! I, I was turning thirty, and I said, "Done." You know, like I was like one hundred twenty-eight pounds. It's just walking, uh, talking disaster. You know, I mean, I, I already had uh, physical ailments, like I collapsed my lung in eighty-three from uh, basically from smoking it a little bit. Like my, I, I lovingly jest about it when I, I'm in. Uh, one of my recovery music group is my Richard Pryor period. But then I have to explain who Richard Pryor is. <laughs> and it was brief, but I burnt a hole in my lung, you know? And, and um, so that was an almost, that was a near death experience. And then, then there were periods like when you just do too much blow and you feel like your heart's going to explode and, you know, that whole bit. So, so at 30, I said, I'm done. And from January of that year until September 
of of eighty seven, I was trying every day to not drink or drug, and I had my diary, which clearly states that I was not successful. Uh, and every day was the same. <laughs> every, every every day was the same deal, you know. Um, I'm today. I'm going to stop. You know, we're just going to have a dinner. You know, and then it would be okay. The next day would be like, okay, today we're going to stop. And then um, right around so August August of uh, eighty seven, we went to a wedding, and we were seated next to some friends of ours that we used to run with. And it was this girl, my friend Jill. Mm-hmm. And and I leaned into Jill and I I whispered those two words which uh, were a favorite of mine which were you holding <laughs> and she said no I'm in recovery and I go to these places and I do this and I got a book and I write these things and I'm like good for you well, <laughs> hope your team wins baby you know. And I started looking around the room for another victim. All right, who else looks like they might be? But she kept talking, you know. And and uh, to be completely honest, all I heard was wah, 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 wah. <laughs> <laughs> but she planted a seed, which is what I try to do now mm-hmm. uh, to other people, uh, to newcomers. And she's the person I called on that night when I was standing in front of the mirror when I was looking, going, "Yeah, this is going to end bad." You know, I was looking, I ran out of dance tickets. I was looking for dance tickets. I was looking looking at every drawer and I was out of dance. It was like, I, I got to, if I don't stop, this is, this is not going to work out well. And I called Jill and she took me to my first community support group meeting. One, two, three, Bob's your uncle. And 33 years later, I still go to community support group meetings, you know. Has it been easy? You go through times when you're broke, when you got money's coming in. I haven't felt the need to pick up a drink or drug through anything that I've gone through in 33 plus years. How's that? For it's pretty recovery. Damn. Okay, yeah, so well, that's what it, that's that's the deal. That's the deal. Like if you do it, if you not do it right, but if you work your if you work a program, mm-hmm. um, there's nothing that a, a drug or a drink uh, won't make worse. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And um, I've managed to uh, circumvent uh, having to do that. I'm not saying, dude, I didn't bang my head against the wall a few times, but uh, and it makes them goofy. Uh, life choices, <laughs> but I, I didn't pick up a drink or a drug. Um, and, um, you learn from everything you do. You're supposed to learn from everything you do. And, and there's like wonderful, great lessons out there for us. Um, and, uh, you just keep going and, and you keep going by helping other people that come after you that are trying to get cl- clean and sober. So we do, you talked a little bit about how you started writing recovery music, but how did you start and I think you were doing it with Liberty. And how did you guys start playing that circuit? What what ins, what what instigated, inspired that? So you started playing at um, recovery events and getting into that world. I and just you, started. You I, were I, a counselor, didn't you? Aren't you a counselor? Oh, that, yeah, that's all the other conversation. Yeah, I went to school in 2018. I'm certified as a recovery coach and a drug and alcohol counselor. I've only been able, because of the record and recording, I put together like 200 and plus hours of, of drug and alcohol counseling. You need like 6,000 to get, uh, oh, compl- yeah. you know, to, I'm, I'm, I'm like a counselor in training. I'll be 87 by the time I get uh, <laughs> 6,000 hours. But, but um, recovery coaching, I'm trying to do a little bit. Um, and um, uh, what the hell was the question? <laughs> how, did, how did you get pulled to that? Oh, oh okay. 
Well, that was just a decision. Uh, you know, I, I did a recovery music group. It was actually at, I think it was at Betty Ford down in Tribeca. And the guy that asked me to play there, I said, well, what else do you do? And he says, well, I'm going for my certification. I said, really, where? I was just in the right mood. And I made a phone call. And, and I, they said, yeah, come. Well, you could do it. It's like a you know, four-month class, you know, four days a week. And I, you, know, you could do it longer, but I squeezed it in. And I, I got certified for both those things. I worked at a place in Staten Island uh, as a, a counselor in training for a month or two, mm -hmm. you know, 200 hours worth before the pandemic i'm looking forward to doing more um and how how did i start doing these gigs some right back around like i said 2008 or something i think the first one was my friend woody geesman who used to be in the del fuegos he has a treatment facility in boston mm -hmm. called right turn i got a call from simon kirk from bad company mm -hmm. um and he said i'm doing this benefit for a treatment facility up there do you want to be in the band that that might have been the first one mm -hmm. and and it was a great all-star it was like uh chad smith from the chili peppers and simon and, and you know all my friends and we raised we were raising money for for the chili. and and great things after each uh you know after the performance people would come over to you and say wow that's so cool i grew up on your music it's so cool you're in recovery i'm in recoveries and i start to see that there might be some other ways to combine music rock and roll and and uh and recovery and i did a whole series of those things and did them elsewhere and other places and then i started to get asked to do um you know speak at schools i spoke at a high school in in uh, seattle and a, in a juvenile detention center and keynote speaker at like recovery events you know in atlantic city i'll never forget i went to a uh, uh i went to a um recovery conference in in vegas Right. So the whole giant conference room was all these booths with treatment facilities. And, and, and all I could think of was like, how ironic to have a recovery conference in a hotel in Vegas where Satan himself has his own freaking office. <laughs> you know? I mean, if this isn't the height of irony, you know. So, uh, but yeah, so I go around the country and I, and that's what I miss the most is doing my recovery music groups. There's a place in Jersey. I, I've been going to three years, once a month, uh, uh, uh turning point, the treatment facility. Uh, I haven't done that for a year, but I've been doing, I've been working with some organizations. I'm going to be working with guitars for vets and, and they help, um, uh, uh, vets with PTSD and drug and alcohol problems. So I could help as a counselor and as a recovery coach and, as a guitar player and um and different various organizations i'm going to be doing stuff with there's one play uh, one uh, organization called uh, phoenix the phoenix organization um that combines physical fitness and recovery which why i'm involved i don't have a clue <laughs> but yeah. um god i need that yeah i guess i'm the poster boy of what not to do but um and that's so, so that's how it started. And I just loved the, I love, I mean, I wind up talking about recovery so much during the day. That's like, I don't even want to talk about it at night, you know, and that's good. See, that's because, so, so I'm involved in it constantly. There's always somebody's like, I'll, I'll look at my tech. Hey man, um, my cousin's having a really hard time drinking. Can, you, can I give them your number? I'm like, yeah, man, give me, give me my number. 
Um, I've done. And you get those calls? You get calls? Oh, Oh, yeah. Um, I did some for Music Cares, a group here in New Mm -hmm. York where I would sit with, you know, sometimes when people get sober and you're in the entertainment field or or something, you feel like you lost your edge, you can't write, you know, you're scared to go on stage. So because I've been doing that for so so many years, they had asked me to lead a, a group. I did two of them. Um, and it was people, you know, know, nine, 10 people, some people, kids, some people that were like, you you would know, and they all recent recovery people. And they're trying to figure out how to write again and open that block and stuff. So I think um, uh, my third act is pretty interesting. More of that. Oh yeah, man. I can't wait to start doing that stuff again. I mean, I got a great breakdown. I do my recovery music groups. Mm Mm-hmm. I do my recovery charity events, which is, and then I do all these cool um, charity events that has nothing to do with recovery for kids' charities or, or something like that with well, all my rock and roll friends. Um, and then um, I'll have my record to promote, like hopefully live one way or another. And, um, you know, counseling. I mean, I got so many things I can do. Um, I just have to uh, stay clean and sober to do them. Otherwise, they all go away. Like I, have, that. I have two last that. questions for you. One is. Wait a minute. How, I can't snap my finger. How, you yeah. know, I found that yesterday I said, oh, God, my snap is like gone. It's like, I don't know. Is that age that you lose the snap? I can I only snap. I'm a right-handed, but I can only snap with my left, left hand. Me, me too. The right hand I got, I got. I got nothing. I There's know. no snap. I got no snap in the right. I don't know what I that have is. No, I have no snap. It's a whole Seinfeld. It's Probably. an episode. I know. So, so tell everybody how you, how, how did this start for you? How did you get Joan? I, but I know you had success before because I seem to recall that you were touring with Graham Parker before, like when you were just a kid. Rumor, yeah. what, well, I was a kid. Um, you, uh, you were very young. 20s. Yeah. Okay. Early yeah. 20s. Yeah. yeah. I was in a band called Susan on RCA. Um, mm-hmm. And um, we did a, my first, that was my first tour. It was with, uh, we opened up for Grand Park and the Rumor wow. across the country. And that was great. Um, after that, I, I uh, we were both, we were both managed by um, Tommy Matola, who also managed Paul and Oates. Uh, Graham wasn't managed by him. I mean, Susan was managed by Tommy Matola, and so was Hall and Oates. In Hall and Oates was G.E. Smith. G.E. Smith left Hall and Oates and, and did a record. He asked me if I wanted to go on tour. This was after Susan. I did a tour with him. As oh. second guitar player opening for Squeeze. So that wow. was a cool tour, too. That was my second mm-hmm. tour. And then I was kind of home trying to figure out what to do next. And, I, you know, I worked. I was a bike messenger. I was awful. <laughs> I would take speed and, and, and smoke pot and never deliver the stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I, complete, I if it wasn't was- for the guitar, man, I'd be a complete I'm useless. So, so um, I was home in New York. and. Um, uh, Carol was working at Lee Krebs, which was a famous uh, management company back in the day. They they managed uh, Humble Pie as well as others. She knew I loved Humble Pie, and she introduced me to Steve. Me and Steve became friends, and we I was hanging out with him, and we would sit in his apartment and play with two, you know. And uh, so there was that. John Wade had just left the babies, and he moved to New York, and somebody at Chrysler thought I would be good with John. So we became friends. We started writing stuff. And then, uh, and then Carol called me and said, um, "Do you know Joan Jett?" I said, "Yeah, of course." Um, you want to go? You want you want to go play with her? You know, like to jam with her? And I said, "Yeah, man, cool." 
and uh, and I went down. We got along great, and and that was it. And I was in the band. I mean, that's the, the short version of the story. That's a, that's a good short version. So so my my other question is: so you started out watching the Beatles, the Stones. You got to play with Paul not very long ago. You've played with Ringo. What was that like for you to go full circle on that and get to live that? That was great, but you, let me tell you something about you. I love that you know Phil Rosenthal because we love him. Oh, yeah. Phyllis, when you come to L.A., you'll have to come to a pizza and movie night with me at the Rosenthal. Like, like, like we watch, you know, Feeding Phil, like somebody feed Phil. Like my, Frankie sings the theme song. Like he's got the best. First of all, everybody loves Raymond. We watch, you know all every night but he's got the best smile and and like you know like i love how he enjoys i, I remember when i was a kid george burns i'd read george burns book or, or and they'd say he was talking about jack benny and he said jack benny had this amazing ability to love whatever he was eating at the time like he would say george you have to taste this apple pie this is the best <laughs> apple pie I've ever tasted. And that's what Phil's like. It's like when you watch him eat gelato, you know, like it's Stanley Tucci. Stanley Tucci, that's a good show too, but he doesn't have mm -hmm. a sense of humor. Like, like Phil has he got this. And he also doesn't get excited. He, he's so dry. It is a good show, but he's he's very one level through it. Yeah. And he, and he reminds me of Paul Schaefer too, in a weird way. I don't know why. <laughs> but, but, and I love Phil, when he talks to his dad, and I, you know, God bless his mom. His and dad's telling, out here now. They just are doing the whole. When he tells this, when he tells the story, when he tells the joke, I'm like, dude, I know that joke. <laughs> you know, like I, I sit upstairs and tell the punchline before his father tells the punchline. You know, like like the the, the old woman with the kid that in the, by the ocean and the kid. Yeah. She's she's. <laughs> She's walking her grandson or granddaughter by the pool by the ocean, and yeah. a big wave comes and takes takes the kid into the and the grandmother's please God please I'll do anything please give me back my grandson please give me and another wave comes and throws the grandson onto the beach and the kid looked up and said he had a hat yeah <laughs> that's my mother's favorite joke oh me too like, like it's so simple and it's. Perfect, you know, perfectly perfect. written. You know, Phil. I heard, I heard Gil Godfrey do that joke. Phil will love you just as much as you. Phil loves music. I don't. I don't know if you know this about him. He's obsessed with Bruce. Obsessed. But before every movie, he shows a music video, and he's very, he's, he's very ahead of the curve, and he will love to have you come to a movie night. Oh and, God, uh, that was yeah. Thrilling. I mean, like that kind of that kind of stuff. Um, I, there's just, and, and maybe because he, I know he didn't, he didn't grow up in the Bronx. I don't think maybe it was Brooklyn. No, was he, he not, even, north. not even in New York. No, no, yeah. North, though. No, like Yonkers ish, I think is where he grew up. But there's something, his personality, you know, I've got that personality, you know, there's like, there's a common, it's just New York. I, I don't know what it is. It's just, that's why I love uh, Brighton beach memoirs. That's why I love um, Sunshine Boys. We were just talking about um, my favorite movies, my favorite year. 
with Peter it, O'Toole. That is my favorite movie. And I had Richard Benjamin in the living room telling the whole story about how he got Peter O'Toole and everything. Oh, forget about it. And uh, yeah. And and, um, and and I love Peter O'Toole. And I know Peter O'Toole at the end of his life, if I'm not mistaken, um, he found a recovery from, like, I remember I, him I, talking I, about I, it on Carson. I believe he did. But, but Lady Kazan was in my living room. Oh my God. His uh, Swanee. Swan. He's a he's a it's swan. He's not a river. Yeah, but 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 every single time that end of the movie, and I know it was written for this. I cry every time when he's just waving the sword around because I can't explain it. It reminds it. It's the story of a career. Yeah, but it's story. It goes beyond the moment. Like, you know, between like, what do you mean? What do you mean live? I can't be live, you know? <laughs> a movie star, I'm not an actor. I'm not an actor, I'm a movie star, yes. But but that thing at the end and, and him being drunk all the time and not seeing his kid and those, it's the best movie and it's and I love Sid Caesar and I love, you know, all of that stuff is Just stuff that I've been- I got to Joseph meet him too. Yeah. Oh, oh. All of all of that, like any of those movies, like the in-laws, the sunshine, like the sunshine boys, I could do it from top to bottom. I could do it right now. <laughs> you know, both parts. By the way, <laughs> both parts. You know, but but like like it so much of my childhood and all that stuff. And also this there's so much um there's something about him waving that thing just you know, especially as you get older and you've been in the business for a long time, and there's another movie that does this to me, black and white, and it and it's I think it's called Career. See, and it's Anthony Fran France Franciosa. Is that how you say his name? Remember Anthony I Anthony Franciosa? I remember him, but I don't know this movie. I don't think it's black and white. Uh, maybe early '60s. I could be wrong, mm -hmm. but it's about an actor that tries for decades to try to get his big break now that movie makes me cry like crazy and and um he finally when he's got like white hair and stuff he gets a a, a part as a, a lawyer and dean martin's in it i think shirley mclean might be in it you know i might be confusing it's okay. called career right it's definitely something to to see anthony franciosa he was on a tv show when we were kids called valentine's day if i remember correctly you know good looking italian guy I was just thinking, it wasn't he wasn't in Mr. Name Novak. of the game. Who was Mr. Novak? Um, I don't remember. Uh, so That's another one. So what the this, hell did you ask me a question? Yeah, I'm asking you a question now. So through this pandemic, I, come on, you got to be watching TV. What are you binging? What what have you loved? Oh, oh wait, the McCartney thing first. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that night was wonderful. That was of course. The <laughs> yeah, the McCartney. I have a delay. <laughs> the um, one of the best parts was at soundcheck. Ringo came over to me, which actually doesn't even sound like a real sentence, does it? But um, he <laughs> came over to me and he and I said to him, "Can I ask you a question? How do I keep from crying during my speech?" And he said, "There's nothing wrong with crying." And uh, yeah, and and I tell that story when somebody starts crying a little bit in one of my groups. But um, wow. People say to me, were you nervous? Now, when I just, I just watched the video. When I watch it back now, I'm like, holy crap, Marie. <laughs> As, you know, um, Peter Boyle would say. <laughs> uh, uh, on Rand. Yes. Uh, but um, 
it was a band situation. So like, when I have a guitar, that's my my security blanket. So right. Right. We were playing. Yeah, but there was everybody. It was Stevie Wonder's to my left, and and um, uh, Patty Smith, and 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 um, Peter Wolf was there, and then of course Paul and Joe Walsh I was next to, and Gary Clark Jr., Tom Morello. I'm trying to remember Ringo. Uh, you know the the shape the, the Letterman band is up there. Um, I can't remember. Oh, just, oh uh, uh, Billy Joe Armstrong from Green Day. Right. So there were a million people up there. Um, and wait, what was this for? This was this, this, this was the, the, the finale of the induction, the night we were inducted in 2015. Okay. So we did two Beatles songs, right? We did, uh, I want to be your man and, um, a little help from friends. People say, were you nervous? I, I, I get nervous when I watch it back, but not that night. What I was nervous about was giving a speech, a forementioned yeah. speech, because right in front of me. At the table in front of me. So I'm at this podium, right? And right. the speeches were all up on a uh, teleprompter because they didn't want us to look down. Right, right. Thank God, because I kept my eye that way. Because right in front of me was the table with Paul and Ringo and oh, Jerry, Jerry Lee Lewis and Yoko oh, and my. Joe Walsh and, and Joe's wife and, and Ringo's wife. I don't think Paul's wife was there. Um, and that was the table in front of me, see? So <laughs> my only goal was not to look down <laughs> and just get through the speech. So, yeah. So, no, I was not nervous for the playing. Yes, I was very nervous for the speech. And, Did you look down when you finished your speech and it was done and take them in for a moment? Did you take them in? I, I took them in. The only time I looked down was when I told the story of how when I was nine years old, I watched Ed Sullivan show and I saw the Beatles and I went like this. I was like, I was, I was Ed Sullivan. I was introducing somebody in the audience. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we have a special guest, Rocky Graziano. <laughs> you know, I could see Paul kind of looked around, you know, like he, he probably didn't go like this, but you know, for the story, he did it. But, and and um, so I did look down for that, you know, and, um, but other than that, I mean, I saw my friend Jimmy Vaughn, you know, who was accepting for Stevie. You know, Carol was sitting over here. Like, I mean, I saw my whole record collection and basically was sitting there. And some, so it was in Alice Cooper was sitting there, Van Zandt sitting there with Maureen, you know. So I was trying not to look down because it's ridiculous. You're standing up right. there with a freaking piece of paper and you're within a statue. It's like, why am I here? <laughs> how, how did this happen? You know, but, but the thing is just uh, to end. So Why wait, so when you're, when you're playing with that, so when you have that moment when you're all on the stage, were you able to were you able to be present in the moment, enjoy it, and like, or was it surreal? No, I was so present, I wasn't nervous. I was just in a band. Wow. Yeah, I, I wasn't even there. Like I was there face to face. You and Paul were like, yeah. Right well, there. that was that was my doing. Um, in soundcheck, um, you know, Schaefer had a list of all the guitar players. And he was tapping us on our shoulders when it was our turn to do the solo. And I noticed in soundcheck that nobody really went over to Paul. And I said, well, I tell you what, this Bronx boy is going over to Paul because I'm never going to get this dance again. <laughs> you know? And as soon as Paul went like this, you could see me on the video. I look at you. Could, if you, It depends on which camera. But you can see me look at Paul and I go like that to him. And, and we get, I get right up in his face and I start playing like these Chuck Berry riffs. 
which when I watch back, it's like, that's all I played. Like, I guess I was too like mind blown to actually play any leads, but, but he was smiling, like all the pictures of him, like smiling at me and stuff. So it was worth, uh, you know, it was worth the, um, it was worth the effort. Now it's just me being, you know, New York. Is there anybody, Ricky, that you, that you still like, that you still covet to play with that you haven't yet? Keith. Keith. Or, and I'd like to do, I'd like to do Maggie May with Rod Stewart once. Have you got, have you met either of them? I met Keith. Yeah. I met him twice. Briefly, briefly. I never met Rod Stewart. I've met I've met Ronnie Wood because Carol was doing his publicity, so I, I went and met him at hotel and stuff like that. But um, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I get more excited about meeting baseball players. <laughs> if I, when I meet Yankees, I'm like 12. Yeah. Excuse me, can I have your autograph? Can you sign my ball, please, Mister. So are you going to go to Yankee Stadium? And, and, and I've done. Yeah, yeah. In yeah. the summer, I've done yeah. a couple of gigs, events with Bernie Williams on guitar. You know. See, what I was going to say to you is, is in my bio, it's got, you know, uh, recorded tour or shared a stage with. And the list is very impressive. It's you know, I, I toured with, obviously, with Joan. I was in that band for uh, 10 years. Um, I toured with, um, uh, I, I did about a, Ian Hunter. I did an album and, and a radio tour and some gigs with Roger Daltrey. I did a, a couple of, uh, like a week or two with John Waite. I played with Southside Johnny for you. But other than that, all of those other names are because I'm in this, what we talked about before, where I'm in the all-star band of these events. Right. So we all, and I'm talking about like Liberty DeVito on drums, our mutual friend, Jeff Carlisi from 38 Special. Sometimes it's Will Lee. Sometimes it's, you Another know. Uh, yes. Yeah, there's all different, uh, Schaefer or Rob Arthur who plays with Frampton. Uh -huh. um, and we're backing up though that list of names are people that I've played two or three songs, Smokey Robinson, Mavis Staples, like it's on and on. So I'm a, a lucky guy that I've been able to, uh, I'm play, you know, talk about, I mean, playing I'll Take You There with Mavis was a high point. I got to be honest. Oh, playing um, three songs with Smokey Robinson was like absolutely ridiculous. And, oh. and after, before the show, I went over to him and I said, dude, this is what I, what I said to him. I swear to you, my hand to God, as the comedians used to say. <laughs> I said, when I was a kid in the Bronx on the roof on Tar Beach with a radio, a transistor radio, listening to tracks of my tears, and tonight I'm your motherfucking guitar player. <laughs> That's what I said to him. And he got, he, he had this big, started laughing and smiling and stuff. And then I, and I know from his book that he's also been clean for a long time. And I said, and I just celebrated whatever it was. So it's five years ago. Gives me this big Smokey Robinson hug and stuff, and it's ridiculous. I mean, I'm sitting behind Brian Wilson doing um, uh, um, "God Only Knows." Come on, really? Oh, you serious? You know, doing well, doing. Anybody, I don't want you to bust anybody, but has anybody been a disappointment? No, not on those things. Wow, everybody's been very nice and kind and stuff. I mean, I, maybe some people are crankier than others. Mm. I mean, great, great story. We did it. We did. Uh, Eddie Money was one of the guests. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I remember. So, so during, we still were rehearsing. During, and he was great. He, he come up and he goes, you look great. Because um, uh, I hadn't seen him in ages. But um, he was great. He was just so funny and stuff. So it, and we do like, I don't know, t t tickets to paradise or something. And everybody's going crazy. And then he leans back between me and Carlisa. And he goes, can you believe these people still like this shit? 
you know, <laughs> with a big smile on his face. I mean, some of the, some of it's been amazing. We did um, Gene Chandler, Gene Chandler, Duke of Earl. He was one of these guests. Duke, Duke, Duke. Yes. So, and I later heard this as part of his act, but ladies and gentlemen, Gene Chandler, and we start going, do, 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 go, girl, do, and just over and over. Where is he? <laughs> Way at the other side of the convention center, the door's open and a red spot, like a spot, a spot goes on him, and then he's wearing a cape with satin <laughs> on the inside, walking to the beat slowly. Beautiful. It had to be seven minutes. We oh, got to the stage. God. You know, I did Wooly Bully with Sam the Sham. I mean, there's a million stories. Just what stuff, was, all these stuff, the like greatest, What was the greatest, most exciting, like stadium or like, what was, what blew your mind? It, I'm sure there were many, but what's blown your mind? Like when you walked out on the stage, like I would imagine like Wembley or Madison well, Square Garden have we, to be. We played, we did a whole stadium tour. So we played, you know, we opened for Queen in England. That was 14 oh million people or something. Oh, my um, God. Yeah, it was ridiculous. But we played Chase Stadium, you know, um, and I grew up in, you know, in the Bronx, but I, we moved to Flushing. I went to Flushing High School, you know. And all I could was those freak kids that used to, you know, take the piss out of me when I was there, with my, you know, playing guitar in the, uh, on the on the on the field next to <laughs> Flushing High School because I li I lived right next to the high school, you know the, the bully kids, you know the jocks or whatever. It's like, yeah, I'm playing Chase Stadium. <laughs> wow, it's great. Yeah. It's great. And um, uh, I mean, there's millions. Like all all kinds of big places. We did Five Nights on Broadway. With Joan, I remember looking up and seeing Bowie sitting in one of the boxes, looking down. You know, we're doing wow. Rebel Rebel, and he's up there, like looking at. Um, wow! Did he come back? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, um, I remember um, playing the last Beach Boys July Fourth concert, went that giant concert that we did in Philly and we did in DC. Like it, you know, the planes, the bands crossed. Like first you played there, anyone's. And the end of the night, fireworks going off, and everybody's on stage. We're doing fun, fun, fun. Yeah, there's there's a million stories, but then there's stories like uh, oh, you know, playing a gig with um, at a college, and BB King played. Not not we weren't on the same bill, kind of. It was like separate crowds. Uh -huh. And I'm walking downstairs in this college, and I walk past this dressing room. BB King's in there packing up his guitar, and I freeze. And he went, "Hey, son, come on in, sit down." And I'm sitting there for 15 minutes with BB King talking to me. I was like, you know, I got all this. Sometimes I forget and I go, oh, yeah, I remember that. You know, all kinds of cool stuff like that. And as a baseball fan, I remember playing Evansville, Indiana. Don Mattingly is his college friend standing on the side of the stage drinking beers, you know. You know, when Donnie was playing with the, with the Yankees, Mr. Baseball. So wow. it just it's endless. No, I don't want to write a book. Don't even say it. <laughs> because you know what we need is another musician writing a book well i don't know you know keith's got a great book and you have so many well, his photos. way more exciting than mine was you have yeah. amazing photos i mean even if you put together like a, a coffee yeah. table yeah i don't know i got so much stuff i'm doing i just want to just get back to my recovery music groups and 
try to be a counselor and, and promote this record. Let's get back to my record and let's end with my record. Let's end with your record. Sobering Times. Do you want me to play a track before we go? You could do that when I'm finished talking, yeah. Okay. Uh, Sobering Times, you could get it on all of your, so it's a rock and roll record with a, like a message of hope, it's a recovery, you know, lyrics and uh, hope and in, hopefully inspiration. Um, and there's funny stuff on there too, you know, just, but it's all, it's like a lot of slam and rock and roll and some beautiful acoustic things. And hopefully some, you know, somebody out there listening that might be struggling will get something out of it, like lyric wise. Um, but uh, you could get it on all the online portals, you know, all the stores, mm -hmm. uh, you know, where the kids go today. <laughs> um, and I and I heard it's in like Walmart and stuff like that, which is really cool. I have to go visit and see my record in the store. And um, if you'd like a signed copy, and I'll throw some like like bird swag in, like the pick guitar picks and and like um, um, stickers and such, and I'll write something on the front. Uh, you go to rickybird.com. And there's also, uh, lyric, the lyrics are all on rickybird.com. There's photos on rickybird.com and there's links to all my other thing. I just, I'm just almost finished with getting my YouTube channel. I've been told in no uncertain terms to get my YouTube channel together and start doing some stuff on there. So I've been collecting all these videos and putting them into playlists. Uh, you could find that. And there's all this live stuff from me with Joan, me with Ian Hunter, me with, the only thing I can find is anything with me outside Johnny. So I put the word to the set side people, the fans. Um, and, uh, so that all those links are at the bottom. Uh, I tried doing some like birds, words stuff and, and writing something. I, I just never do it. I can't. And I love to write. I just don't have time to sit down and write stuff. So, so how are you, how are you feeling your, your end of pandemic days? Let's hope end of pandemic. Well, I'm well, planning on going to the gym really soon. Cause I'm starting to feel like, like here in New York, I mean, I don't know if they're too soon or not, but like. You know, Broadway's supposedly opening at 100% capacity in September. No, uh, now, much sooner. And I've heard they're. You no, know, I think they said September 1st. They did? Because somebody yeah. was telling me something and I thought that was crazy. But I heard that you're going to have to show your vaccination uh, card. What's really interesting, uh, I just finished a book, uh, a Dorothy Parker book, and it was all of her Broadway um, reviews from 1918 to 23. We know what happened in 1918. There's little to no mention of the pandemic. She went every night on Broadway. Wow. What she did say is she mentioned the pandemic and she said, Broadway producers are using the pandemic as an excuse when a show is bombing to close the show. Wow. She does that in the book. But little to, like every night, she's out of, I don't see anything like, oh, they closed for two weeks. It's like, and, and like a lot of people did not make it to that. So. And there's no vaccine. There was no open. There was no such thing as a vaccine yet. Right. So um, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to getting, I don't know how long it's going to be before I can get out and go to these treatment facilities because they're not even letting people in. I've been asked to do a couple of outdoor recovery things in July, which I'm mm -hmm. considering. Um, great to go to Yankee Stadium later. We'll see how it goes. I mean, the infection rate, really I mean, I'm vaccinated. Have you done stuff? Like, have you eaten outside at a restaurant? Have you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Me and, me and Frankie, like, when we go into the city, when I'm getting my hair cut or something, when we're getting a haircut, our haircuts, our haircut, our haircuts. Anyway. Um, when we get we, our hair yeah. Yeah. We go to these out, little outdoor joints. But it's, you know, 
It's scary, man. And I always say this. I always feel uncomfortable sitting out there. And there was just another accident when one person got killed where like a truck came at it or a car smashed into the people sitting outside. It's, it's a little dubious sitting outside in the, in the street, you know? Yeah. You're right there. So there's been quite a few accidents like that. I don't know how many people were, you know, didn't make it. I know one didn't make it from this last one. But it's it's slowly slowly coming back um do you feel everybody does the right thing man it'll come back faster do you feel safer i'm I'm sure you feel safer being vaccinated but do you do you feel are you ready to go back to just regular life uh are you concerned about the variants is what i'm asking you i guess well they keep saying i mean i've been one through this whole thing to follow science and not not watch uh any cable is about it you know, I just watch no channel. Like I just watch what um, Dr. Fauci and, and those people say, you know, well, he changed his mind. It's like, yeah, because it keeps changing, man. Mm-hmm. Science. Can, why didn't he say he said not to wear masks? Yeah, because they didn't know people were asymptomatic. See, they thought it was like the flu where you coughed and sneezed and then you have a, a clue. No, mm-hmm. no, you could be perfectly fine. So at the beginning, we didn't know this yet. So and and also there weren't enough masks for everybody, and the uh, front uh, liners, right? right. So, th- so when people say, "Well, he said this," it's like it's science, dude. It keeps changing every day. They're learning about this. This isn't like a a, a thing that stands still. Right. It, it keeps mutating. It keeps changing. So they have to keep adapting to it, and they keep giving us news. Sometimes it's the same. Sometimes it changes a little bit. You know, uh, so how do you personally feel about it? I mean, do you feel that are you ready to get on a plane? Are you ready to go and sit shoulder to shoulder with other people inside? Or, well, they have said that if you're vaccinated, um, and and planes supposedly have great uh, filtration system. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. So uh, filtration is that the right word? It's a good word. I don't think that's the right word though. Ventilation. Yeah, because that's a water thing. I think filtration. I think it's ventilation, but yeah. I'm not. A, I'm not afraid to look stupid on on uh, Facebook. <laughs> you know, um, but there are no stupid questions. There are no stupid. Well, I I, I think I think uh, the the problem is you don't know who is vaccinated next to you. But if you're vaccinated, they said, and you everybody's wearing masks. And, and, you know, th- they're saying that you can, at this point, you can consider yourself, unless something drastically changes, mm-hmm. you know, because in places it's different uh, um, infection rates. Uh, it, it's, um, I, I think it would be, I think I feel pretty safe. You know? Are you serious? I mean, you're still on? Carol's like, are you serious? <laughs> yeah, like you're still on. Really? It's it's like like I haven't seen my mom in a year, so like I want to go down to Florida and see her. So I'm thinking maybe um, maybe it's coming soon, in a month or two. Yeah, you feel like you can get on a plane? Well, people are flying, though. My daughter's flying in from New York on Friday. I haven't seen her in 15 months. I can't. I'm losing my mind. I'm so excited. I think it's I think it's going to take time for people to be like even personally like they came on TV and they said. Listen, when you're outside, you don't have to wear a mask if you're vaccinated and you're not around a lot of people. That's okay, what they said. Okay, how do you feel about that? Are you are you ready to walk around outside without a mask? Because I yeah. still wear a mask. I yeah, I think that they said that we can. Yeah. So that's what the science says. So the point is, emotionally, we're going to have to feel 
comfortable. It's going to be like dipping into the cold water at the beach, you know? Yeah. And I was walking to the post office. I had my mask on. I'm like, why am I wearing my mask? You know? And, and I see all, everybody's wearing masks in my neighborhood still. It's going to take a while for people to feel that sense of okayness, mm-hmm. you know? So it, listen, what was it, one day at a time? I think I heard that. I don't know where I heard that. I think I've heard that somewhere. All right, I got nothing else to say. So if there's anybody who wants to reach you for recovery reasons, how can they get a hold of you? Is there a thing on your website for people to contact you? There is. Turns out there is. Or else on social media, just you know, private message me or DM me or whatever they call it. Yeah, those kids. So sobering times, and they can get it at rickybird.com or at any uh, music buying outlet now. Yes. I recommend it highly. Um, uh, I was going to play a song, but I think I need to just let you go. It's been a long time. Carol's getting antsy. Yeah, I have. I have nothing else to say. Okay, I was going to play your music, but we'll we'll, we'll just go. Play it yourself. Yeah. You don't need. You don't. It's. You know how uncomfortable it is for me to sit here and you play my music. Um, yeah, I'm not going to. I wanted you. Yeah, we'll talk about that another time. I, I wouldn't even know where to look. This is the first time I've seen you in like it's been I think a few years since I saw you last. It's good to see you, Ricky. And, you too. Thank you for asking me. Thank you for the support. Um, thank you for everything you do. For for uh, I'm a sober woman. I appreciate what you do very much. I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to help. The only you know how I know how to help. We can't play to, your, play to your strengths. We can't keep it if we don't give it away. They told me that somewhere. Yeah, I don't know. So where you're giving it away big time. Thanks a million. It was great to see you. Send my love to Carol and say hi to let's, Frank. Let's do the Ringo thing. Peace and love. Okay, everybody. Take care. Take care. Bye. Thank you.